Blog Talk Radio. This is Dr. Ross Green. Welcome to Collaborative Problem Solving at Home. I'm delighted that you were able to join in. This program airs each Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time during the school year. We explore a variety of topics aimed at helping you better understand and help your challenging child and implement the collaborative problem-solving approach at home. If you have a question or comment, call 347-994-2981. That's 347-994-2981. If you call in, you'll be muted until I bring you on the air. And now, let's talk about your challenging child and what we can do to make things better. Hi there. Welcome to the program. As always, these are your 45 minutes. So if you're working with a child at home who's not responding very well to Plan B or having trouble with any aspect of doing Plan B or having difficulty getting your co-parent or the grandparents or the hockey coaches to buy in or running into trouble getting the folks at school to use collaborative problem-solving, This is your opportunity to call in, comment, ask questions, get the support you need, or just listen to what's going on with others who are using the collaborative problem-solving approach. Once again, that call-in number, if you do want to call in, 347-994-2981, 347-994-2981. That number, of course, only works during the live program. So if you're listening to an archive of the program, that number won't do you much good at all. But the following information might. If you're a little hesitant to call in or if you want to ask a question between shows, you can always send me a question electronically through the contact form on the Lives in the Balance website. Uh, That's www.livesinthebalance.org. Go to the contact form and um, ask whatever question might be on your mind. gotten a bunch of... Um, email questions um, from people during the past week, and I thought that that might be a good place to start. Um, Here's one from somebody. Uh, I've read The Explosive Child, and I'm working on doing collaborative problem solving. I'm behind it, but I wasn't doing so well with it and fell into the trap of thinking that if I just upped the stakes, asserted my authority, blah, 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 that's not me, that's in the email, Maybe that would work. Of course it didn't. So my question is, should I tell my daughter, who's 11, that we're going to try something new, or should I just do it? Tends to get more inflexible and shut down if she feels like she's being what she calls manipulated with logic. It would be almost funny if I weren't her mother. I think if I explain a bit, tell her it's about us solving problems together, she might be less suspicious. Well, my response was, uh, just do it. I think that there are some kids who, for whom an explanation of the fact that you're going to try to be doing things differently from now on, that you're going to be trying to tell them what to do less, scream less, get mad less, and talk more, and try to solve problems together more, that's fine. Some kids might appreciate that you've recognized that things need to be done a little bit different around here. But um, for the vast majority of kids, that explanation of what you're trying to do differently won't mean anything unless you're actually doing things differently. In other words, the proof's in the pudding. Um, I think kids, many kids who've had treatment, um, 
had their parents tell them that they were going to go about doing things a little bit differently, uh, they become suspicious over time that anything that those early promises are going to amount to much. Because um, I think a lot of people embark on trying to make things better with a fresh burst of enthusiasm and energy. The proof's in the pudding. What we're looking for is durable and fundamental changes in the way we go about trying to handle challenging episodes over the long haul. And one of the things I can say with great authority about collaborative problem solving, it doesn't work in a week. There are people, and I might read some of these emails today as well, there are people who can see dramatic changes in a week, but and sometimes because of plan B, sometimes because they've begun trying to solve problems collaboratively, but it's hard to imagine solving all the problems that have been reliably and precipitating challenging episodes durably in a week. A lot of times I see that initial burst of things getting better due to, number one, using less plan A. Plan A causes challenging behavior. If you're using less plan A, and, and for those of you who are not familiar with plans A, B, and C, I would probably encourage you to listen to um, last week's program, the program from January 12th, in which I described plans A, B, and C and what each of them is about. Um, plan A, of course, is when you impose your will. It's unilateral problem solving. It's what causes challenging episodes. If you stop using so much plan A, you'll reduce the number of challenging episodes. Another reason uh, the number of challenging episodes might decrease in the first week is because you're using more plan C Plan C is when you drop an expectation completely, at least for now. If you drop an expectation completely, at least for now, if you're not working on a particular unsolved problem right now, well, then it's not going to cause challenging behavior during the week because you didn't even bring it up. That's plan C. What helps things get better durably over time is plan B. Solving all of the unsolved problems in the pile of unsolved problems that has accumulated over time, all those unsolved problems that are reliably and predictably precipitating challenging episodes, those get durably resolved with Plan B. That takes longer than a week. The proof's in the pudding. Kids are waiting for us to demonstrate. Oh, the proof's in the pudding. And don't, don't uh, get too upset with yourself if there are a few blips along the way. You may return to what you used to do while you're trying to make Plan B your routine, habitual way of trying to solve problems. But what you're trying to accomplish over time is a collaborative approach to solve problem solving rather than a unilateral approach to problem solving. And what you're especially trying to do when you're doing collaborative problem solving and a, a pattern you're trying to get ingrained into your interactions with your challenging kid is you're trying to solve problems proactively rather than emergently, proactively, rather than in the heat of the moment. That's what you're trying to do. Um, so you can tell the kid what you're up to. You can tell them you're trying to do a little less plan A, a lot less plan A. There's some things you're just going to let go. And there are many things you're going to try to talk about and resolve in a realistic and mutually satisfactory fashion um, by 
while trying to solve problems collaboratively. Get that to be an ingrained part of your interactions with your challenging kid, and they won't. Uh, the the uh, explanation at the beginning will have been long forgotten. What will last over time is the fundamental change in your relationship with your kid, in the way you communicate, and in the way you go about resolving disagreements and problems. Here's another one. And I have uh, actually two that are all along the same lines here. Um, you often mention this being a developmental delay. Does the ability to deal with frustration get better with time? Here's a similar question. Where do kids learn the lagging skills? If it's lagging skills, if this is a developmental delay, and it's lagging skills that give rise to challenging behavior, how do those skills get learned? How do they get taught? Do over time, do they developmentally catch up? Do they eventually learn these skills through addressing the individual unsolved problems, or do they need more direct teaching? It's a great question. And one I hear a fair amount of, um, that doesn't make it any less of a great question. It's just a common one. Um, once people get their heads around that this is a developmental delay, immediately the question becomes, how do we teach the kid the skills that they're lacking? The answer is, the vast majority of the time, I find that the lagging skills are taught through mere use of Plan B. In other words, through solving problems collaboratively. That's how most skills get taught. Um, because when you're using Plan B, those ingredients of Plan B, uh, the empathy step, involves helping the kid um, get his concern or perspective on the table on the unsolved problem you all are trying to talk about. Uh, does that help the kid think about what his concerns might be? Yeah. Put them into words. Yeah. Does it help? The kid clarify his concerns. So many times, kids and adults aren't exactly sure of what their concerns are. And in Plan B, we're figuring that out, and we're clarifying it further, and we're giving the kid the words to use to let us know. Are those skills that will serve the kid well the next time he's dealing with frustration and has a problem to solve? That's my experience. The, my experience is yes. In the define the problem step, where you're getting your concern or perspective on the table, the kid is learning and practicing all kinds of crucial skills, crucial to flexibility, frustration tolerance, problem solving, let there be no doubt, crucial to life in the real world. Uh, is the kid learning how to listen to what another person is saying, what the other person's perspective is, without getting upset about it? Yes. Is a kid trying to take that other person's perspective and understand it? Yes. Trying to incorporate that perspective into a solution that's mutually satisfactory and realistic? Yes. As part of the concerns that you're laying on the table is the kid appreciating how his behavior is affecting other people. Boy, there's a lot of skills being learned and practiced with that second ingredient. Third ingredient, the invitation, really brainstorming. This is where you and the kid are trying to 
brainstorm solutions that will address the concerns of both parties. What skills does that teach? Oh, by the way, these skills don't get taught through one application of Plan B. They get taught through multiple applications of Plan B. Uh, You don't learn to hit a baseball your first time up. You learn to hit a baseball well by trying to hit a lot of baseballs. Uh, Getting good at Plan B requires practice for adults and helping the kid learn the skills that he's lacking that are his contribution to challenging episodes. That takes practice, too. In the brainstorming ingredient, the kid is trying to think of solutions, trying to think about the likely outcomes of those solutions, once again trying to think of solutions that will be realistic for both parties and mutually satisfactory for both parties. During this whole process, by the way, a skill many challenging kids are lacking, um, taking their emotional response to a problem or frustration and putting it on the shelf so they can think, boy, they're, they're learning that skill. So if you're familiar with the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems, boy, there's a lot of skills being taught. Just a lot of the skills in the unsolved problems section of the ALSEP are being taught indirectly, not directly, indirectly, just through the ingredients of Plan B. And, and this is related to an uh, email that I'm going to talk about pretty soon, if you have a black and white literal concrete thinker in your household, gets an idea in his head, it would take an earthquake to shake it loose. Helping a kid move off of his original solution and onto one that is realistic and mutually satisfactory, boy, that's something a lot of black and white thinkers have trouble with. Helping that black and white thinker take another person's concerns into account, I already mentioned that one. Take another person's perspective, I've already mentioned that one. A lot of black and white thinkers are helped to think in a grayer way through mere use of Plan B. Now, are there skills that might need to be taught more directly? Yes. If a kid is lacking the communication skills to participate in Plan B, that's a skill that might need to be taught more directly, giving a kid a vocabulary for expressing or identifying his concerns. And by the way, having worked with a fair number of completely nonverbal or very communication-impaired kids, um, let me say quite explicitly that a kid doesn't have to let you know what their concerns are with words. They can let you know what their concerns are by pointing a finger, by using a thumb-up or a thumb-down through pictures. Um, kid doesn't have to easier for us adults if the kid is using words, but not a prerequisite for participating in Plan B. I was um, doing the empathy step of Plan B with a kid last week who um, was having a great deal of difficulty participating in the empathy step because, well, for all the world, it appeared to me that he was having difficulty formulating a response in language and expressing his response to my questions in language. So we did a bunch of yes or no questions. I started with some easy yes or no questions just to see if we'd get anywhere. I asked him if he liked meatloaf. Yes. Spaghetti. Yes. Did he have any friends at school? Yes. 
Were there kids at school who he had difficulty getting along with? Yes. Then I asked if I could ask one that wasn't yes or no. Was there anybody at school who he was having particular difficulty getting along with? We got the kid's name. Then I, then I asked if I could ask another question that wasn't yes or no. What was that kid doing that made that kid difficult to get along with? He was calling him names on the playground. Good. We're getting some great information. And if this kid, who was about nine years old, hadn't been able to answer those questions that weren't yes or no, I would have tried harder to turn them into yes or no questions and done some educated guessing. Sometimes communication skills have to be taught for a kid to participate in Plan B, but there are lots of kids who participate in Plan B who don't have well-developed communication skills. Sometimes there are some of the social skills near the bottom of the lagging skill section of the ALSEP some of those would need to be taught more directly. For example, uh, one of the uh, lagging skills listed in that section, the lagging skill section of the ALSIP, is uh, difficulty with basic social skills, entering groups, starting a conversation, um, being left out. My goodness, what is going on with my computer now? I'm hearing... Hold on just a second here. Once again, we have technology making life more interesting. But now we're back. Um, entering groups, starting conversations, um, being left out, those are some skills that might need to be taught more directly. I'm not sure that I would expect Plan B, the ingredients of Plan B, getting a kid's concern on the table, getting your concern on the table, brainstorming solutions. Not sure Plan B would teach those skills directly, but Plan B would be a good way to structure the conversation. In other words, I might start the conversation with the kid using proactive Plan B saying, for example, I've noticed that sometimes uh, the other kids don't let you play with them when you try to join in on their game. What's up? Plan B isn't the way that you are directly teaching the skill. It's not the way that you're indirectly teaching the skill, but it's the way that you're structuring the conversation so that this is still an unsolved problem, difficulty entering groups, that you're working on collaboratively. Do I expect these kids to catch up? That was another part of the question. You know, I don't worry about catching up that much. I don't worry about it at all. I think the goal of collaborative problem solving, truth is the goal with any kid, is to move development incrementally forward. So I don't think you want to go into this thinking, is he caught up yet? Um, I think you want to go into this thinking, how do I move development incrementally forward by working on a lot of these unsolved problems and if I have to teach a few skills directly, then I'll have collaborative problem-solving be plan B be the way that I structure the conversation. I wouldn't think about catching up. I, I wouldn't. This is hard. You know, when you have a six-year-old, it's tempting to think about what things are going to look like when he's 18. The, the hard part is if you're thinking about when he's 18, when he's six, then you may be way overshooting your goal 
for this week or this month. Uh, no, you're looking to move development incrementally forward this week and this month. Get a problem solved this week durably. You'll have moved developmental development forward. Get one or two solved this month and reduce the number of challenging episodes that are occurring in your household. You will have moved development incrementally forward. Don't worry about catching the kid up. He'll he'll move because kids do all if they can. He'll move developmentally as quickly as he can because that's just the way it works. The goal is not to catch him up. Let me give you that call-in number again. It's 347-994-2981. Once again, this is your time to call in and ask any questions that you have about a challenging kid in your home, trouble you're running into with Plan B, trouble getting the folks at home on board, a co-parent, a grandparent, a coach, a teacher. This is your time. Here's another one. I need more info on how to deal with a black and white thinker. You know, if there's any population of kids that Plan B is well-suited for in particular, it's those concrete, literal, black and white thinkers. Um, The ones who have trouble breaking away from routine, the ones who need things to be a certain way, need things to be just so. The ones who have difficulty appreciating how their behavior is affecting other people, taking another person's perspective. The ones who get an idea in their head, it would take quite a bit to shake it loose. The expression that I used to use, and I may have used it earlier in the program, is it would take an earthquake to shake it loose, but I'm trying to stay away from that these days just because of how horrifying the scenes from Haiti have been unimaginable. I was um, speaking in New York City late last week, and one of the discussions that came up was something that I had, um, I know I'm digressing here, something that I had written a commentary on in the real world section of the Lives in the Balance website. Um, it was the uh, November real world I talked a little bit in there about something called empathy fatigue, how, once again, I'm drinking green tea. I've been told it's good for me. Um, How we become very fatigued in the empathy department, and, of course, the topic of that particular commentary was um, how fatigued people sometimes get in empathizing with a challenging kid. I consider them among the most difficult kids to empathize with just because their behavior is so difficult to be around. But um, we were talking a little bit about how in the information age, we are just bombarded with things that we're being asked to empathize about. Uh, It's almost daily that we are being hit with human tragedies things we got in much smaller doses in an earlier time, and things that we just get whacked with now. And I I think that we may have exceeded the human capacity for truly empathizing 
just because we're being asked to empathize so often. But of course, if any place in the world, and there are many places in the world and many people who live in those places who are deserving of our empathy right now, but the people of Haiti um, are particularly deserving. It is unimaginable what those people are going through right now. We don't want to have empathy fatigue for them. And, of course, near and dear to my heart, we don't want to have empathy fatigue for the challenging kids in our midst. We don't want to miss the opportunity to help them. Another thing, I know I'm really digressing here, but that's okay. Another thing we talked about, uh, well, you know what? Now that I'm through thinking about... uh, now that I'm done apologizing for digressing, I actually forgot what I was going to say. Let's go back to black and white thinkers. Um, if Once again, if, any, if Plan B was designed for any group of kids, it was those black and white thinkers, and now you know why. Because of all the practice they get using Plan B at things that they're just not very good at. And I just named a bunch of them. They get practice at all those things when they're using Plan B. I hope I think about the other thing I wanted to tell you I had been thinking about in New York City because it was actually a good thing to talk about. Let's see if it comes to me between now and 20 minutes. Here's another email. Maybe I'm just a bad driller, but my 11-year-old daughter either can't or won't identify particular concerns. For example, I notice we seem to be having a lot of arguments when I ask you to bring your dishes to the kitchen what this mom gets from her daughter is I'm lazy, I don't want to. And then the mom begins guessing about the kid's concerns. Is it because it's right after supper and you're feeling tired? No, I just don't want to, is the kid's response. But I wonder why you don't want to. Because I'm lazy. You know me, I just don't want to. More guessing. Is it because you're anxious to be done with supper and want to move on to something else? No, I just don't want to do it. This is something I promised we would talk about this week uh, during last week's program, and I've taken my time getting there because I knew that this email was uh, coming. Um, Drilling is the hardest part of the empathy step, and drilling is particularly hard when we're not getting the information we're looking for, and that happens a meaningful percentage of the time. I actually haven't kept track of what percentage it is, but... I think it's well over 50% of the time that when we're asking a kid what's up, we are either getting a shrug or we're getting no response whatsoever or we're getting I don't know. Now, in this case, we're getting something. I'm lazy. I don't want to. You know me. But then the question is what to do with that so that we're actually drilling further. So let's let's go back a step. We'll get to what to do to drill further when a kid actually does respond. Let's talk further, as promised, about what to do when we get a shrug or an I don't know or silence. Here's uh, consideration number one. Make sure you're doing proactive plan B, not emergency plan B. Uh, Emergency plan B greatly cuts down on the likelihood of getting information 
in the empathy step. There's just too much heat. You're in a rush. Emergency B, plan B, it's there if you need it. But it's not conducive to the gathering of information. It's just too hot, just too rushed. So that's consideration number one. Make sure you're doing consideration number two. Make sure you're doing plan B and not plan A. Plan A is a conversation stopper. Plan A is a great way to limit information. Plan A, because it causes challenging behavior, the only information you're going to get by doing plan A is reconfirmation that plan A causes your kid to act at his or her worst. That's not the ideal way to seek information. Make sure that uh, make sure that you're not putting a vague concern, a vague neutral. Oh, make sure that your observation when you're doing the empathy step is truly neutral. No judgments in that uh, neutral observation. Uh, if you listened to the uh, program last week, you learned that uh, when you're doing the empathy step, the first, the very beginning of the empathy step is a neutral observation, usually starting with the words, I've noticed that, continuing with one of the very specific unsolved problem that you've plucked from your list of unsolved problems that you wanted to talk, to, hopefully a high-priority unsolved problem that you wanted to talk with the kid about today, and then finishing with what's up. But the observation should be neutral shouldn't be filled with things like, I've noticed that you don't want to, I've noticed that you don't care. I've noticed that you like, in so many words, having things go badly or making things go badly. I've noticed that you're trying to ruin my life. Those aren't neutral observations, and they are a very good way to get a kid not to talk. The observation should be neutral. I've noticed that. We've been arguing a lot about how much screen time you've been getting. What's up? I've noticed we've been arguing a lot when I tell you to get off the computer lately. What's up? I've noticed, and I gave a lot of these examples last program, I've noticed that um, you haven't been eating what I've been making for dinner lately. What's up? I've noticed you and your brother are having a real hard time getting along lately. What's up? I've noticed homework has been a real struggle for us lately. What's up? Those are all very specific, neutral observations. Now, let me talk about one more part here, though. You want the observation to be neutral, but you also want it to be as specific as possible. If you go too global with your neutral observation, if you go too generic, the kid may not be able to sink his teeth into what you're actually asking for information about. So here's what something very global would sound like. I've noticed that you're very impulsive. What's up? Too global. I've noticed things aren't going so well around here lately. What's up? Too global. I've noticed we haven't been getting along too good lately. What's up? Too too global. Those are neutral enough, but they aren't specific enough, and so it's likely that those generic uh, empathy steps are going to get you a shrug or an I don't know or silence. Now let me get a little bit more specific. Well, the truth is the ones that I gave you are very specific, and that's the direction you want to head in because those are specific.
specific enough for a kid to sink his teeth into, and then you have a better shot at getting the information you're looking for. Now, what if a kid, and this is, this is hard, what if a kid gives you a verbal response in the empathy step, but you're not exactly sure where to go with it? Uh, so let's go back to the example of our emailer. Um, you know me. I'm lazy. I just don't want to. Well, now you've got a few options, but what you're thinking to yourself at this moment is, what do I need to ask so that I understand what the kid is saying further? What do I need to ask? The greatest impediment to thinking about what you should be asking, and many adults fess up on this, the greatest impediment to that is that many adults are already thinking about solutions. Solutions when they don't even know what the kid's concern or perspective is yet. It is very hard to think about what you should be asking instead when you're thinking about solutions. Very hard to think about what you need to ask so that you understand what the kid is saying as fully as possible when you're thinking about solutions. Very hard. So you want to push those solutions out of your mind to the greatest degree possible and think to yourself, do I understand what he's saying and what do I need to clarify? What do I need to ask to clarify that further? And if I don't understand what he's saying, maybe I should let him know that. So there are a lot of phrases that could come in handy here. I'm confused. I don't quite understand what you mean. How so? This is you assuming once again that you're doing proactive plan B. This is you taking your time and letting the kid know, you know, I I don't know what you mean by I'm lazy. I, I don't know what you mean by you know me. I don't know what you're trying to say. Help me out here. What do I need to ask so that I understand what the kid is saying further? This is kids who actually do say something. Now, a lot of times drilling focuses on the who, what, where, and when of an unsolved problem. But to tell you the truth, so um, what is it about the homework that's giving you trouble? What is it that I'm cooking that you don't like? Who are you having trouble with at school? Which homework assignment? Who, what, where, when? But to tell you the truth, the main thing you want to be thinking is, what do I need to be asking here so that I understand what the kid is trying to say? And once again, if I don't understand what the kid is trying to say, I probably let him know that. There's no pressure for you to intuit. A lot of adults feel this pressure to immediately be able to intuit what the kid is saying, even when they don't intuit what the kid is saying. Uh, You want to resist the temptation to do that. One of our emailers who has emailed during the program, once again, that's always an option for you to email either during the live program or between programs. Once again, you want to go to the contact form on the Lives in the Balance website, and that email will come straight to me. Uh, One of our emailers is saying, what about kids who truly don't care about your concern? 
Well, I guess that's possible. I find that those are usually kids who've got a long history of having their concerns not cared about. Plan A. Plan A is when you're blowing the kid's concern off the table in favor of your own. When will a kid start caring about your concern? Right around the same time you start doing Plan B and showing him that you care about his. Drilling's the hardest part of Plan B. Um, I'd love for some folks to call in and tell us live about their struggles with drilling. We do have a caller. Um, we only have about eight minutes left, but let's see what we can accomplish in those eight minutes. <coughs> Hello, you're on the air. Hello? Maybe our live caller isn't aware that they are a live caller. It looks like we're not. Here's one last email. I think we'll have this one be the last one for the day. I've got one more planned after this one, but it's just a lovely email that I received from a parent for whom collaborative problem solving is going well. But here's one. One thing I want to say about collaborative problem solving is that I think it requires a person who's willing and able to think creatively. You just can't fall back on because I said so. You have to think of ways to solve problems, show empathy. And I think some people, especially perhaps some men who have been raised in a traditional way, are not flexible and creative enough to do this and think. Just a lot of trouble, and they think that children should just do as they're told. This is someone who's having this problem in particular with her significant other. And you're absolutely right. Um, but, uh, well, <laughs> right about one part, there's people who definitely have trouble getting their heads around collaborative problem solving. I, I don't find that to be limited to men, I must say. Um, in this particular circumstance, it's uh, a male who's having trouble, but... Uh, I've worked with some uh, females who uh, had a lot of trouble getting their heads around collaborative problem solving, had trouble doing less plan A, more plan B, with a smattering of plan C. It's trouble. But I usually, I think I usually know why. Um, first of all, I'm one of those models hard to get your head around. This is not the conventional wisdom so far anyways. It's um, not the way we've been thinking for a very long time. Luckily, we've had research telling us what we should be thinking. Challenging kids are lacking crucial cognitive skills, and rewarding and punishing them doesn't teach those skills and, in fact, sometimes often accounts for their worst moments. That being the case... Um, we ought to be doing something else. We need a different tool in our toolbox. But here's what I find. People have a lot more trouble buying into collaborative problem solving if they're not aware of the lagging skill part. It's the lagging skill part. Well, quite frankly, it's the lagging skill part that led me to collaborative problem solving. It's the lagging skill part that helps lots of folks get their heads around collaborative problem solving. What I find is that if all we're talking about is the plan B part of the model and not the lagging skill part of the model, 
then I find that people do tend to have a lot more trouble buying in. The segue into plan B, and quite frankly, I consider this the most important part because I find that there are some people who never get fantastic at plan B. But so long as they understand that their kid is lacking crucial cognitive skills, they are now viewing their kid through more compassionate lenses, more humane lenses, and I find that lots of parent-child relationships improve dramatically just by virtue of people having different lenses on and having a an improved understanding that challenging behavior is the byproduct of lagging skills, demands for those skills, in other words, highly specific, unsolved problems. Our caller is back. Let's see if this works better this time. Caller, you're on the air and you raised your hand, so I think you're ready. Yes? Maybe not. Uh, caller from area code 519, this is your chance. Oh, don't go away. <laughs> You're up. Hello. Yes. Hi, can you hear me? I can. Okay, uh, I good. You've got children in your background. so it's Yeah, but you know what? I'm going to go back to the other room. I thought got I had it. to also be in front of my screen to talk to you. So no, you I... don't. You can just That's talk to me. That's great. Um, I, my name is Kathy Sullivan. I'm calling you about my daughter, Clara Ryan. And let's, let's, let's stay away from names, although it's already too late, but go oh, ahead. Okay. All right. Anyway, so my daughter is 11, and uh, she um, she has, um, well, the profile that would, you would describe so well in, in, in the book that you've written, and in terms of her tolerance threshold, where I get stuck is there are days where we are so in tune, and I I get it, and school, for instance, is a really huge issue for us, just the idea of going to school. Um, and there are days where we where we have no issue at all, and um, other days where totally out of the blue, I really can't, I don't foresee, it comes out of nowhere, and, um, and I think everything is fine, and, and it absolutely is not, and so we have a huge meltdown. The, the dynamic is such that there are other children too, so they... Um, that you know, they're all waiting on what the 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 fallout to end, so that we can either get out the door or not get out the door. So it gets really tense and explosive. And where I get stuck is I I um, I get. And I, and I want to push you along just a little bit here because we only have two minutes left in the program. And so I when wanna... a child when a child is giving you the list of reasons why they're not going to go, and you oh. get uh, go to school, I don't, uh, you know, I hate it. It's stupid. I learned it all already. There's nothing new there for me, and so on and so forth. Well, from an adult point of view, I, I get that. Like those are pretty valid things in her world, and I don't know how to get past those questions, those, those explanations. Um, that's where I get stuck to get more to the meat of the matter. Because I, because I don't think those first responses she's giving me are the only reasons. Got it. So here's here's my quick guidance. Yeah. Um, and then what I'm going to encourage you to do is call next week as well. Yeah. And I'll answer it further. But okay. any, I know that that's not going to be especially satisfying for the coming week. Any challenging behavior that occurs, any episode that occurs on Tuesday is useful especially as it relates to the information that it gives you about problems that are still unsolved. Unsolved problems don't pop up every single day necessarily. So while Monday could be a good day because some unsolved problems that are still unsolved 
didn't necessarily come into play that day. They did come into play on Tuesday. And what they do is they give us information about unsolved problems that yet to be addressed. That's the only thing challenging behaviors are actually good for. They let us know that there are still unsolved problems that we need to deal with using proactive Plan B. But I want to hear during the next program, if you can, more about the unsolved problems that you told us about a little bit because they actually sound like very legitimate concerns on the part of your daughter and concerns that while you may need to drill a little bit on them to understand them better, they actually sound highly predictable and therefore grist for the proactive Plan B mill. So if you can and if you're able and if you're willing, do call in next week and we will spend much more time on what you just told about us about. Unfortunately, do need to end for today. Okay. I hope this program has been helpful. Thank you very much. Yes. Yeah.